everyone. Welcome back to the Football Outsiders Fantasy Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Spratt, a writer for Football Outsiders, part of the Edge Sports family. I'm back in the friendly confines of North Carolina, mourning the end of Cam Newton's season. But I can shake off that sadness to bring you my Week 10 waiver wire recommendations. I'm going to go team by team, but if you're interested in recommended fab bids, check out my article on footballoutsiders.com. But for now, let's jump back to last Thursday's game between the 49ers and Cardinals. The big fantasy news here is probably from Jimmy Garoppolo having a great day, 28 for 37 for 317 yards, four touchdowns and zero picks. Uh, But before you run out and grab Garoppolo in your shallow formats, I would say consider the fact that this Cardinals matchup is very favorable for quarterbacks. They increased passing touchdowns per attempt by 35%. That's the fourth highest in in the league. His previous seven games, Garoppolo averages 213 yards and 1.3 touchdowns per game. Not exactly fantasy-worthy except in deeper formats. Garoppolo has been effective this season, 9.1% DVOA, but I just don't think he's passing enough to really justify his inclusion among Shadow League fantasy starters. Meanwhile, Tevin Coleman, after his four-touchdown day the previous week against the Panthers, fell a little bit back down to earth with 12 carries for 23 yards, two catches for 13 yards, and no touchdowns. Meanwhile, Matt Breda had 15 for 78 on the ground and 2 for 14 in the air, performed better for the day. I'd say Coleman is safely a running back, too, and he's going to have up-and-down weeks. I think that four-touchdown performance is an anomaly, but at this point, you probably missed the window to trade him if that's what you wanted to do. Uh, in contrast, though, Emmanuel Sanders had a very nice day, seven catches for 112 yards and a touchdown on nine targets. He's up to 13 targets in his two games with the 49ers, which gives him a 28.6% wide receiver and tight end target share for his new team. For me, that reads like a wide receiver two kind of volume. I think Sanders can be a wide receiver two for the rest of the season. I still don't think he's going to get quite the same work he got on the Broncos, even though he's, I think, more clearly the number one receiver on his new team. Again, the 49ers, they're an effective team. If they're up in games, they're going to be running late to kill clock and may make it tough for Sanders to get to that wide receiver one threshold, but he's going to be a solid wide receiver two at the very least over the rest of the season. I guess I honestly probably buried the lead that Kenyon Drake was probably the real fantasy story of this game. 15 carries for 110 yards and a touchdown, plus four for 52 in the air on four targets. Obviously, that was without David Johnson and Chase Edmonds, both missing that game with injuries, but still very impressive against the 49ers and their number two DVOA team. Um, the thing here is that Johnson is probably going to return in week 10, so it's going to be really interesting to see exactly how this unfolds. My read of things is that Drake may continue to get a healthy workload while Johnson shifts more of his work toward the receiving game. He's already lined up as a receiver a lot this season. He has a negative 10.3% DVOA as a rusher this year, but 30.8% as a receiver. So, I mean, he really kind of plays like a slot receiver more than a running back, and maybe the Cardinals can use them both together. So even in shadow leagues, I'm picking up Drake if he's still available, and I'm definitely not dropping him if I own him. But it could be a bit of a murky situation in Week 10. The Cardinals face the Buccaneers, who have the number one DVA run defense that week. And again, if Drake is the one doing more of the running while Johnson's doing more of the catching, could be a tough week. Just own him and find out. Let's see how this plays out. Drake could have a very productive remainder of the season for his new team. Then also for the Cardinals, Andy Isabella, the rookie receiver, had a really cool catch for 88 yards, running away from like five different 49ers receivers to score a touchdown. But don't get too carried away with him in fantasy for this season. He played just 13 offensive snaps in this game, saw just the one target. Meanwhile, he's behind Keyshawn Johnson, who had 25 offensive snaps, and and Farrow Cooper at 17. So I just don't think Isabella has any fantasy value right now in redraft formats. Next up, we have the Texans of Jaguars, that game in London. Kenny Stills, four catches for 52 yards on four targets, hasn't totally benefited from being the number two receiver 
on the Texans in the meantime. But Will Fuller is still out, still probably going to miss a few more weeks, which means that after the team's Week 10 bye, Stills may still be the number two receiver for the team. The weird thing here is that Kiki Cutie, again, didn't play despite being active. That's two straight weeks, and we really haven't gotten an explanation of why that's the case. But for fantasy purposes, that probably makes it pretty easy. You know that Stills is the number two guy until Fuller returns. So in Week 11, it's possible that Stills will be that and will be a productive fantasy player. I bet I'll probably rank him in the wide receiver three range. For the Jaguars, Gardner Minshew had his worst game or since Week 2, just his second worst game of the season. He's had six positive DVA performances, but three negative ones. But this this last one, I think, left a, an impression in his coach, Doug Marone's mind. Marone, actually, just before I started recording the show, already named Nick Foles the starter for Week 11 when the Jaguars returned from there by. So you can go ahead and drop Minshew in your shallower formats and pick Foles back up in your deeper formats. I'm not sure he really deserves shallowly consideration for the time being, but Foles will be the starter. It's a bit of a shame. Minshew, I thought, was pretty effective this season. Still maintains the 5.0 positive DVOA for the season. But, you know, it may just be some time before this, this shakes out. It's tough to not go with Foles, I guess, given his, his relative expensive price tag. But we'll see how this Jaguar situation plays out in future seasons. Meanwhile, for the Jaguars receiving core, Keelan Cole, nice day, five catches for 80 yards on six targets. He played 82% of the team's offensive snaps, pretty much a direct slot replacement for D.D. Westbrook. But again, since the Jaguars are going to be on bye next week, I expect D.D. Westbrook to return healthy from his neck and shoulder injuries in Week 11, so you probably don't need to pick Keelan Cole up except in your very deep formats as a sort of handcuff, I guess, for Westbrook. Next up, we have the Redskins at Bills. Dwayne Haskins got the start this week, went 15 for 22 for 144 yards. No touchdowns, but also no picks. But Haskins, I wouldn't get too excited. Negative 93.7% DVOA for the season, really bad. Hasn't been already named the starter for the Redskins next game, so I think you can leave him on your wires. Darius Geis, I think he's going to be returning uh, after the team's Week 10 bye from uh, from injured reserve. He'll be eligible that week, and head coach Bill Callahan seemed to suggest that he expects him to play that week. Adrian Peterson ran for 100 yards this game and has four straight games with 75 or more rushing yards, but has a negative 17.0% DVOA for the season. This suggests he's been pretty inefficient. I think probably a lot of that is the Redskins situation. It's just a team without much of a passing attack, kind of a bad offensive line, but I still think Geis is probably the odds-on favorite to, to lead the backfield in early down touches over the last half of the season. So even in shallow formats, I think you should pick him up and see if he ends up becoming the starter in Week 11. Terry McLaurin did okay, four catches for 39 yards on six targets, but I think his fantasy value is going to take a hit if Haskins ends up being the starter, so keep an eye on that. He'd probably be a wide receiver two slash wide receiver three if one of the other veteran starters ends up getting in there. For the Bills, Devin Singletary finally had the breakout game that we were all waiting for, 20 carries for 95 yards and a touchdown, three catches for 45 yards on four targets. Frank Gore had an okay total of 11 touches on the day, but the game script seemed to suggest that that Gore would get more of the work. They were up pretty handily for most of this game. And so I think this is a changing of the guard, and I think Singletary is going to be at worst a running back two over the rest of the season. His efficiency certainly demands that kind of workload. He leads all relevant running backs with a 62.2% rushing DVOA this season. Gore has been pretty average with a negative 1.7% rushing DVOA. And I think Singletary has a chance to be a special player, especially because he contributes a lot in the passing game too, which is obviously very valuable for fantasy. Definitely pick him up in all of your leagues. I would blow all of my fab budget in order to get him if he was still available on the wire. Among the receivers, Duke Williams, who I think was getting a little bit more work and maybe maybe sort of 
induced the team to trade Zay Jones away to the Raiders, but he actually was a healthy and active this game, so I think you can probably go ahead and drop him in your deeper formats. Then let's shift over to the Vikings at Chiefs game. Big news here is that Adam Thielen re-aggravated his hamstring injury. So far, there's no update on when he could return. Uh, the Vikings have a week 12 bye, so it may actually be in week 13. But that gives you a couple of weeks to deal with here where perhaps B.C. Johnson could be a plug-and-play option for you. He didn't really do a ton with Thielen out of this game. Just one catch for four yards, did score a touchdown on two targets. But he played 83% of the snaps versus just 28% for Laquan Treadwell. So I would say you can go ahead and ignore Laquan Treadwell's 58-yard performance in this game, even in deeper formats. If you want a Vikings receiver to plug-and-play, it's going to be B.C. Johnson. For the Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes looks like he is on track to return in Week 10, so that's good news for his fantasy owners. Obviously, he'll be the number one quarterback over the rest of the season as soon as he is back and healthy enough to play. And then at running back, I mean, more confusion. I just cannot figure out this Chiefs backfield. After LaShawn McCoy seemed like he'd sort of established the job as the number one back, Damian Williams comes in here with 12 carries for 125 yards and a touchdown, two catches for three yards. McCoy got just four total touches, and Williams played 72% of the team's offensive snaps versus just 10% for LaShawn McCoy. My best explanation, other than just the seeming randomness of the Chiefs' backfield, is that McCoy had a critical fumble in Week 8, so this may have been sort of a punishment for that. But, I don't know, for the season, McCoy is still doing much better with a 4.6% rushing DVOA versus negative 16% for Damian Williams. And Williams owes pretty much all of his production in this game to one breakaway 91-yard rushing touchdown. So I'm not sure it's it's suggestive that he's going to be very productive over the rest of the season. I uh, don't know what to tell you. I would say pick up both Damian Williams and LaShawn McCoy. And I think you're probably just going to leave him on the bench for the time being. But hope that this situation clarifies a little bit leading into the fantasy playoffs in a few weeks, and and hopefully by then we'll know who to start. But yeah, Damian Williams had been dropped in a number of leagues. He's available in about 30% of ESPN and Yahoo leagues right now. Next up, we have the Jets at Dolphins. Jamison Crowder, eight catches for 83 yards and a touchdown on eight targets, which led the wide receivers on the team. In Sam Darnold's five starts this season, Crowder has 33.3% of the team's wide receiver and tight end target share. That would be eighth highest among all receivers in football if it was over the full season. So Crowder, absolutely a viable fantasy option, probably a top 30 play in PPR formats right now. Although Crowder is probably getting a little bit more work because Chris Hernan continues to not play. He was actually active for this game, but didn't play a snap where backup Brian Griffin uh, saw eight targets, six catches for 50 yards. He's actually been pretty okay in Darnold's starts with Hernan absent, but I have to think that Hernan is going to be back next week. It's been kind of a frustrating wait after the early season suspension followed by the hamstring injury, but I'm taking it as a good sign that he was named active for this game, even though he didn't play. I do still think he can be a back-end tight end one over the back half of the season once he actually becomes active. For the Dolphins, obviously they just traded away Kenyon Drake a week ago. Well, their remaining lead back, Mark Walton, ended up getting suspended four games for violating the NFL's conduct policy. And that vaults, I suppose, sophomore running back Kalen Balladge into the top spot at running back. He had seven carries for 19 yards in this game, played just 30% of the snaps, but Walton also played and played 74% of the snaps. Dallas hasn't been very good this season, negative 22.5% rushing DVOA, but obviously it's another bad situation for running backs. Hard to blame him entirely for the bad performances. So I'm going to say even in shallow formats, it's probably worth your while to pick him up and see if he gets a heavy amount of the volume. Walton was pretty playable, I would say, in, in standard leagues the last week or so without Drake there. But um, without him there, perhaps Balaj can sort of get a similar amount of workload. And if you want to protect yourself a little bit in deeper formats, you could take a look at both rookies, Miles Gaskin and Patrick Laird. 
Neither of them is much of a pedigreed player. Gaskins was a seventh round pick in the 2019 draft. Laird went undrafted. Both are a bit undersized, uh, 205 pounds or smaller. Um, of the two, I think Gaskin maybe has a little bit better ceiling. He has the higher 6.4% receiving ratio from Washington, whereas Laird very rarely caught passes, 3.2% receiving ratio at Cal. But neither of those numbers is very good. So, you know, comparing someone like Gaskin to players like James White and Kenyon Barner and Shane Vereen, it's really more about his size than it is about his production and his career to date. So I think it's a bit of a risk. But again, you were talking mostly about deeper formats here where you're just looking for running backs that have a chance to get volume over the second half of the season. In those formats, maybe they are worth a look. Meanwhile, Preston Williams, the promising rookie receiver, had a very nice day, five catches for 72 yards, his first two touchdowns of the season on nine targets but unfortunately suffered a knee injury that's going to land him on injured reserve. And in fact, at the torn ACL this late in the season, it's possible that Williams will suffer some some late starts to the 2020 season, which is disappointing to see. But I think it does make it a little bit easier to untangle this receiving core for fantasy purposes for this season. I think Devontae Parker is pretty clearly the guy now. He had four catches of 57 yards in this game, a touchdown on six targets. He's averaged eight targets per game since Fitzpatrick took back over as the starting quarterback. And has actually scored four touchdowns in the last five games, both with Fitzpatrick and Rosen at quarterback over that stretch. Williams is only one of two Dolphins receivers with positive DVOA for the season. Alan Hearns is the other, but he hasn't really played very much. So Parker, I think, is pretty clearly the guy at receiver. But then if you want a guy that might benefit with more um, playing time or at least more target share with Williams out, that may be tight end Mike Gesicki. He had his best game of the season with six catches for 95 yards, no touchdown on six targets this week. And perhaps with Williams out, you'll see more tight end targets versus wide receiver targets, whereas a lot of the guys like Albert Wilson and and such behind Williams just aren't the same kind of impact player and don't have the same size that that someone like Gesicki does. Next up, we have the Bears at Eagles. Uh, I haven't heard any news about Mitchell Trubisky about whether or not he's going to be benched, but negative 17.5% DVOA on the season is in a similar range to bench starters Marcus Mariota and Andy Dalton. I think it's a bit of a risk, although obviously the Bears probably going to want to make it work with Trubisky as best they can, give him a longer leash since he's still in the third year of his rookie contract. But in your deeper formats, it may be worthwhile to pick up Chase Daniel. Uh, I think everyone, at least outside the team, is is sort of clamoring for him to start. He hasn't been tremendous this year either, negative 8.6% DVOA. But if he ends up becoming the starter, you know, at least in his better matchups, he'd probably be a back-end quarterback too. For the Eagles, Darren Sproles made it back after missing the month with a quad injury. Didn't get a ton of work. Two carries for seven yards, one catch for three yards on two targets. Um, But he did relegate Boston Scott to the bench, so you can go ahead and drop Boston Scott in your deeper formats. I don't think Sproles is going to get a ton of work. It seems like Miles Sanders has carved out a really nice role for himself as a receiving back option for the team. But Sproles may get a you know five catches or five total touches a game or so over the rest of the season, and in your very deep formats, maybe that has some relevance. Deshaun Jackson also got hurt here, landed on injured reserve with an abdominal injury. And so I think that means that Nelson Aguilar is pretty much entrenched in the starting role, played 89% of the offensive snaps this week. He's going to have up and down games, obviously, but has had some bigger games this season and could do that over the latter half of the season. But consider that the Eagles are on bye in week 10, so that, that will be starting in week 11. Next up, we have the Colts at Steelers. More injuries to deal with here, unfortunately. Jacoby Brissett sprained his MCL. Football Outsiders researcher Andrew Potter has done some research on this and and believes that 75% of MCL sprains result in four or more weeks of absence. So Brissett could be out for an extended period of time here, giving the veteran Brian Hoyer a little bit of a run here at quarterback. 
I'm not sure you're really going to want to use Hoyer most weeks, although in week 10, he may be a plug-and-play option for you as the Colts play the Dolphins in their number 32 DVOA pass defense. At the very least, that matchup should help elevate some of the Colts' skill position players, at least among the few that are left, uh, because T.Y. Hilton's still going to miss several more weeks after hurting himself in practice last week. Paris Campbell actually broke his hand in this game and is going to miss several weeks too. Devin Funches still several weeks away from returning last I updated there. So I think that leaves Zach Pascal and Chester Rogers as your top two starters, a receiver for the team. A little bit bleak sounding, but Pascal has actually been pretty good this season. 42.1% DVOA leads the team, including Hilton. He played 94% of the offensive snaps on Sunday, had five catches for 76 yards and a touchdown. And again, that was mostly with Hoyer under center. So I think he's a guy you can use in your deeper formats. And then Chester Rogers, more of a slot option, had three catches for 22 yards and a touchdown. He played 65% of the offensive snaps, but I think that's going to go up with Campbell out. And being a slot receiver, he may be someone that Hoyer wants to rely on in a more conservative offense. We'll just see how Frank Reich ends up playing this out for the new team. But I think Rodgers may have some deeper league value as well. For the Steelers, uh, Jalen Samuels ended up getting a lot of run in this game. Only 10 yards on his eight carries, but 13 catches for 73 yards on 13 targets. He has an impressive 15.1% receiving DVOA for this season. He also has 25 targets and four career starts, which it seems crazy, but considering his workload at NC State, it actually makes a lot of sense. He had more receptions in college, 201, than carries, 182. It just kind of may be a match to his skill set. It's kind of unclear at this point exactly how long James Conner is going to be out with a shoulder injury, but... Based on the interview that he gave, it didn't sound like his return was super imminent. So I think Connor uh, Samuels is going to be a running back two option for you, in particular in PPR formats, for at least another couple of weeks. And then in your deeper formats where you're just looking for carries, Trey Edmonds, Scott Work is sort of the lead early down back in this game. 12 carries for 73 yards, but untargeted. He played just 17 snaps, but took carries on 12 uh, on 12 of those 17 snaps. So a little bit crazy there, but I think it suggests to you the kind of workload that he has. Kind of a poor man, Sonny Michelle, if you will. Well, Benny Snell, it looks like he's going to miss several more weeks with his knee injury. So I think Edmonds is entrenched in that role for a little bit longer too. And then Snell could also face discipline for a marijuana charge that could end up giving him a suspension later in the season too. We'll just have to see how that plays out. But For the time being, I think the Steelers running backs to own are Samuels and then Edmonds in that order. Next up, we have the Titans at Panthers. Ryan Tannehill, he didn't play particularly well, and the Titans didn't play particularly well, but his fantasy numbers are still pretty good. Uh, Season high for him, 39 pass attempts for 331 yards, a touchdown, and two picks. Also ran in a touchdown on the ground. Overall for the season, though, Tannehill's looked pretty good. 18.6% DVOA is very solid, and I think that makes him a deeper league option at quarterback for your fantasy formats. But unfortunately, a lot of that work seems to be too distributed to his various receivers to pick any particular one for fantasy. A.J. Brown had the best day of the guys with four catches for 81 yards on seven targets, which led the team. But he has just 20.9% of the wide receiver and tight end target share with Tannehill under center. Same as Corey Davis, who didn't do much in fantasy this last week. It's just That's just not enough to maintain even wide receiver three value in shallower formats. Um, John Smith, the tight end, he is somebody that I think you can rely on in shallower formats when he's playing. He has a 21.7% DVOA for the season, which is among the positional leaders. But this question is really more about when Delaney Walker is going to get back from his injury. And from what I'm seeing, I would say it's about a 50-50 chance that Walker returns in week 10. So for the time being, I'm going to own Smith. And if he ends up playing and Walker doesn't for week 10, you can start Smith in your shallower formats probably as a tight end one. But if not, then I think he 
you can just drop him again and then rely on Walker instead. And it's sort of a similar value role there. For the Panthers, Kyle Allen, 17 for 32 for 232, 2 and 1. Not a great fantasy day. Expected a little bit more against the Titans defense that seems to be better against the run than the pass. But regardless, he's going to be the starter for the Panthers over the rest of the season because Cam Newton landed on injured reserve with his foot injury. Um, you know, Allen may be a guy that you can plug and play in his better weekly matchups, but I just don't think he's going to get enough volume to be an every week type of starter in your shallower formats. This is really a team that relies more heavily on the run than the pass, obviously. That said, DJ Moore, another seven catches for 101 yards on 10 targets. He's actually a top 10 wide receiver and tight end and target share among all receivers in football. But again, with the Panthers having a smaller volume of pass targets in general, his raw total of targets isn't quite up there with the DeAndre Hopkins and Julio Jones of the world. Uh, Greg Olson, he's a guy that probably gets hurt the most by the Cam Newton news. He had three catches for 40 yards on five targets this week, but he's averaging just 4.5 targets in Allen's six starts compared to nine in Cam Newton's two starts. We obviously know that Newton loves to rely on Olson and has throughout much of his career, and I think this news probably relegates Olson to more of a mid-tier tight end two over the second half of the season. Next up, we have the Lions at Raiders. Uh, rookie running back Ty Johnson, Obviously, a couple weeks ago was the number one waiver wire pick for a lot of people uh, and didn't do much with it with Trey Carson coming in. But Carson ended up landing on injured reserve too. And this time around, I think Johnson probably is going to be the guy. He took nine of the team's 16 running back carries this week and played 62% of the offensive snaps. J.D. McKissick played just 38% and Paul Perkins played just 4%. And Johnson has actually been fine. 0.9% rushing DVOA on the season. I mean, pretty average. The Lions don't have an opportunity to really make an upgrade now that the trade deadline has passed. So I think Johnson could be a flex-worthy player in shallow formats over the second half of the season. And after the sort of unfortunate start to his fantasy career, he's probably a guy you can grab. I mean, he may be available on your wires, and he's definitely somebody you can trade for on the cheap. Marvin Jones had a great game here, eight catches for 126 yards and a touchdown on 10 targets, which led the team. But again, I think that was more of a matchups thing than anything else. He's playing the Raiders, who are bottom 10 in DVOA against both number one and number two receivers. Kitty Galladay also had a massive game in this game, although neither Jones nor Galladay was in on the last play of the game, but I'm sure you've heard all about that. Uh, For the Raiders, Hunter Renfro, six catches for 54 yards and a touchdown on seven targets, which led the team. He played kind of a modest total of 54% of the offensive snaps, but he's got at least 50 yards and a touchdown in two straight games. And I feel like the Raiders has kind of figured out what their wide receiver rotation is. Tyrell Williams, clearly the number one guy, but then I think Renfro was the number two targeted wide receiver for the team over the rest of the season coming out of the slot. The odd thing here is Zay Jones, after two total lack of production his first two games with the Raiders, Ended up not with great numbers, three catches for 21 yards on four targets, but led the team's receivers with a 92% of the offensive snaps played. Pretty shocking there. And given that workload, if he maintains it going forward, he could actually be someone with some deeper league value, probably more than he ever showed in Buffalo in his career. So in your deeper formats, you may want to pick up Zay Jones preemptively before he has a big day. Next up, we have the Buccaneers at Seahawks. Ronald Jones, kind of like Devin Singletary here, finally had the breakout day we were waiting for. 18 carries for 67 yards and a touchdown, two catches for 15 yards. Peyton Barber, just four touches on the day. Jones played 54% of the offensive snaps and Barber just 14%. So I think that finally makes the transition we were waiting for. I don't know why it came this week. 
considering the Bucks came back from their bye last week, and that would have made a lot more sense. So hopefully you ignore my previous advice to drop Jones in shallower formats because you definitely want to pick him back up right now. He may be a back-end running back two over the rest of the season, although he won't be as valuable as Singletary because he isn't the same impact option at receiver. Meanwhile, for the Buccaneers also, O.J. Howard expected to return in Week 10. He's been pretty bad in fantasy this season and hasn't gotten nearly the volume of targets that I expected. So I'm not sure you need to rush out and pick him up in your shallower formats, but he probably does sabotage the value of Cameron Brait if you were relying on him in Howard's absence. And then for the Seahawks, uh, the big news here is probably that Chris Carson fumbled twice in this game. He actually has five fumbles now this season. He fumbled in Weeks 1, 2, and 3. And while Carson has been solid overall with a 3.3% DVOA, the fumbles do have me a little bit nervous. And so even though Rashad Penny only played 15% of the offensive snaps here, if I own Carson, I definitely want to pick up Penny even in shallower formats and use him as a handcuff just in case Carson fumbles another one or two times and ends up getting benched because of it. I think it's a small risk. And in your deeper formats, you may want to pick up Penny regardless of whether you own Carson or not, because he could end up becoming a starter over the last four or five games of the season if things broke in that in that direction. Also for the Seahawks in their passing game, DK Metcalf, big game here, six catches for 123 yards and a touchdown on nine targets. Those nine tar- targets were five more than David Moore in third place among the wide receivers on the team. I think Metcalf is pretty clearly the second wide receiver on the Seahawks at this point. He has a solid 25.3% of the team's wide receiver and tight end target share since Will Disley went down. And I think he can maintain a wide receiver three value over the rest of the season, given how heavily he's used in the red zone. But I wouldn't get too carried away by this one performance. He's facing a Buccaneers team that is number 29 in DVOA against number two receivers. This was just an excellent matchup, better than he'll probably see over the rest of the season. And then a tight end, Jacob Hollister, four catches for 37 yards and two touchdowns on six targets. If you've been listening to me the last couple of weeks, I was saying that Hollister was splitting time pretty evenly with Luke Wilson. So I thought maybe his his bigger number of targets than Wilson was more of a mirage. But in this game, Hollister ended up playing 80% of the offensive snaps versus just 23% for Wilson. So I think there's been a clear indication here that the team's going to rely on Hollister as their top tight end option over the rest of the season. And that means that Hollister has value, I guess, especially in deeper formats. But Given how frequently the Seahawks are in the red zone and, like to, and Wilson likes to rely on his tight ends there, Hollister could even have some shallow league value over the rest of the season. Next up, we have the Browns at Broncos. The big news here, Kareem Hunt returning from his suspension in Week 10, and Freddie Kitchens told reporters that he's going to have a role in their game in Week 10. I really don't know how that's exactly going to play out. Obviously, Nick Chubb is a great running back, has had a great season with 7.3% rushing DVOA. But Chubb has never been too effective as a receiver, has a negative 14.5% receiving DVOA this year, and that's really where Hunt does his best work. So this could end up being a situation where Chubb gets more of the early down work and Hunt comes more in on third downs. And in that type of role, he could have some PPR value in your, maybe in your shallow, but definitely in your deeper formats. But I think Hunt is such a good player that he needs to be owned even in your shallow formats, just in case something happens to Chubb or just in case for whatever reasons. The Browns decide to make the switch to Hunt. I mean, I think it's a possibility given how good of a player he is, and I want to own him in fantasy because of that. At tight end, Demetrius Harris, not a huge day, three catches for 25 yards on four targets, but he could become a tight end too if Ricky Seals-Jones missed any time. Seals-Jones left this game with a knee injury, and early indications are that it wasn't major. He was seen walking without a brace and without a limp after the game, so I think he's probably going to be okay, but it may be something to keep an eye on in the news. And if Seals Jones misses a game or two, then Harris may be a back-end tight end two option for you. For the Broncos, uh, Brandon Allen got the start here at quarterback. 
put up okay numbers, 193 yards and two touchdowns, but I think he benefited in particular from a couple of crazy plays. One from Cortland Sutton, who just absolutely stole a touchdown pass over a defender, and then tied in Noah Fant, who broke a tackle on a pretty short uh, crossing route and took it 75 yards for a touchdown. Apart from that, Allen didn't really do a lot, only had 20 pass attempts in this game. I think it's going to be a low-volume passing offense for him, even more so than with Joe Flacco in a quarterback. Meanwhile, the rookie Drew Locke, he's eligible to return from injured reserve after the team's Week 10 bye. He thinks he's healthy and is going to start practicing soon. It's going to be interesting to see if the Broncos make that transition to him. Obviously, with a thumb injury that he suffered this season, he hasn't really had a chance to practice. So it may be another few weeks of Allen, but I'm just not sure that either of those players has any value in in redraft leagues for this year. Locke has more value in, in dynasty formats. And then Fant. Three catches for 115 yards and a touchdown. I already explained that he had a 75-yard touchdown that kind of provided the bulk of that uh, volume. But his four targets, you know, they were the second most on the team behind Cortland Sutton, and I think Fant probably is the number two pass-catching option with Emmanuel Sanders out of town. He played 86% of the offensive snaps this week. Uh, tight end Jeff Herman missed this game with an injury. He'll probably be back in Week 11, and that may cut into Fant's production. Fant also hasn't been tremendous with a negative 15.5% receiving DVOA this season, but Fant can probably be owned in your, maybe even in your shallow, but definitely in your deeper formats, looking for for tight ends getting heavy volumes. He should get that at least. The Packers at Chargers, Devontae Adams finally returned from his turf toe injury, had 11 targets, which led the team by five, just seven catches for 41 yards, but obviously the, the Packers just generally struggled with the Chargers defense, pretty surprisingly. The disappointing news here is that Alan Lazard played just 46% of the offensive snaps, while Marquez Valdez-Scantling played 69% and Jerome Allison played 65%, so that made Lazard fourth fiddle. He did still catch three passes for 44 yards, but man, I'm telling you, I still think Lazard is the one of those three guys that you want to own behind Adams. This 37.7% DVOA easily leads the team's receivers, Adams included, and I just think with his size, his red zone upside, it just means that he's the guy that you want to own here. You can probably drop Valdez-Scantling and Jerome Allison in your shallower formats if you're still holding on to them. But in your deeper formats, I'm going to hold Lazard and see if maybe his workload increases a little bit as he continues to build trust with Aaron Rodgers over the second half of the season. And for the Chargers, I think pretty standard day. I think we have a good idea of, of which of their players are worth fantasy consideration at this point. Although it was also good to see Melvin Gordon with a big day, 20 carries for 80 yards and two touchdowns on the ground, three for 29 in the air. Although obviously Alton Eckler continues to be heavily involved. Could make it tough for Gordon to be better than, say, a top 15 running back over the rest of the season. Sunday night game, Patriots at Ravens. Great game here. Uh, Rex Burkhead for the Patriots. Four catches, I mean, four carries for 18 yards and one catch for 16 yards. Obviously not a ton of work, but the same number of carries and same number of touches as Sony Michelle. I think what that really is is game script here, where the Patriots were down and had to rely on more of their passing down options. Michelle is pretty much only a ball carrier at this point in his career. But that said, Michelle hasn't been very effective this season, negative 9.2% rushing DVOA over a healthy number of 144 carries. It Honestly, it wouldn't stun me if Burkhead ended up getting mixed in more over the second half of the season as an early down back. He has a 22.4% rushing DVOA on 31 carries this season, and his contributions in the passing game mean that he doesn't telegraph the Patriots' play selections when he's in the game. I mean, I think it would indicate that the Patriots were giving up on Michelle at that point, but I think there's a chance, and I think Burkhead should be owned in deeper leagues because of it, even if he's not getting the short-term volume to justify it. And then Mohamed Sanu, new trade acquisition. After one week of modest production, had a ton of work here, 10 catches for 81 yards and a touchdown on 14 targets. That led the team, and he played 100% of the team's offensive snaps, which obviously led the team as well. 
So I think that pretty much clarifies the, the team's receiving options here with Edelman and Sanu as the top two guys. None of the tight ends really being used that heavily. Although Philip Dorsett also played 99% of the team's offensive snaps, had just two catches for 13 yards. But if he's going to play that heavily, he's going to have some value even in shallower formats, probably scoring touchdowns here and there. The thing that's going to be interesting to see is that if rookie Enkil Harry gets worked into the mix, he was actually eligible to return from injured reserve this week, but was named a healthy and active. The timing of the, the team's week 10 bye could have been a factor there. And if he's going to get worked in, we'll probably see that in week 11. So for the time being, it, especially in your deeper formats, I'm going to own Philip Dorsett and Enkil Harry and see how that plays out. But it's possible that Harry gets worked into the mix over the second half of the season. And with his talent, he's obviously a, a big upside play for you in fantasy right now. For the Ravens, their offense was pretty standard. They were able to run, rely heavily on the run, even against the tough Patriots defensive matchup. Uh, the big news here is that Marquise Brown returned from his injury, uh, his ankle injury that left him out about a month. He had three catches for 48 yards on four targets. Not a ton of production, but obviously the Patriots have a top five overall DVOA defense, top five DVOA pass defense, and a top five DVOA defense against number one receivers. So very skewed towards stopping Brown. I think starting next week, he'll be back to where he was before his injury, which in my mind is probably more of a wide receiver three, but he'll be a good DFS tournament option for you given his explosiveness down the field. Then the Monday night game, Cowboys at Giants. Sterling Shepard looked like he was on track to play, but ended up waking up feeling bad on Monday and fell back into the concussion protocol. He's actually suffered two concussions this season, so I think it's very possible that he misses more weeks and potentially even the rest of the season. And if he does, Darius Slayton is the guy that benefits the most. He played 93% of the team's offensive snaps this last week with Shepard absent. Meanwhile, there were four teams on bye last week. You had the Falcons. Matt Ryan missed the, the game before the bye. Matt Schaub played in his place. He also missed Monday's practice, but I think that was probably more of a maintenance day. My expectation is he plays in Week 10, although follow the news there. Running back Ito Smith, I think he'll also return from his concussion this week, but I haven't seen an update so far. It, at this point, you really can't start a second Falcons running back behind Devontae Freeman anyway. The Falcons just tend to be behind in games and aren't relying enough on their second running back right now. And then Russell Gage... Uh, he's been the sort of the tit-for-tat replacement for Mohamed Sanu after one week. He played 59% of the offensive snaps in Week 8, caught seven passes for 58 yards on nine targets. He may be a deeper league option for you. He's virtually unknown in, in every format right now and could have some good PPR value for you the rest of the season. For the Bengals, uh, rookie quarterback Ryan Finley was named the starter over Andy Dalton for Week 10, so we'll get to see him in there. I don't necessarily have high hopes. He was a fourth-round rookie pick this season, not a huge prospect, but he'll at least get A.J. Green back and healthy for Week 10. He's expected to play. And while Green may not have quite the same value that you would expect him to have with Dalton under center, he's really always been a wide receiver two or better throughout his career, and so I'm going to treat him like that with making fab bids and picking him up in fantasy. For the Rams, I haven't heard any updates on Malcolm Brown, see if he's going to return in Week 10 from his ankle injury, but... Uh, you know, the, the Rams have been pretty fine with, with Todd Gurley and Daryl Henderson there. Henderson may be a guy that's going to get 10 touches if Brown misses another week. And then Brandon Cooks, he suffered his second concussion of the season uh, before the team's bye and is off to see a specialist. I think he could miss multiple weeks. And as such, Josh Reynolds becomes a deeper league option for you. He isn't the same deep threat that Cooks is that kind of makes Cooks a shadow league option with a, a smaller volume of targets. And so Reynolds probably only is a deeper league option, but he'll see a healthy number of targets as the team's number two receiver for the time being. And then finally for the Saints, Alvin Kamara, he was actually practicing a bit leading into week eight. 
And so even though he missed that game, coming off this this bye in Week 9, I think it's pretty clear that he's going to play in Week 10, and he vaults back into his traditional role in the top 10 among all fantasy players. Okay, that's going to do it for this Tuesday's episode of the Football Outsiders Fantasy Podcast. We're available on iTunes, Google Podcasts, and now also Stitcher. So please subscribe, rate, and review if you haven't already. And then come back in two days to hear my thoughts on the best and worst matchups for Week 10. Thanks, and I will talk to you then. Mm-hmm.